Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Key Ingredient Podcast. On today's episode, I am joined by Bill Dobman, the founder and president of My Shower Door, as well as D3 Glass, which is a manufacturing and fabrication business. Bill is a great example of what it's like to be an entrepreneur. Starting his business in 2003, Bill and his family have grown their company to over 125 associates in the state of Florida. In addition, they have received countless awards and acknowledgments from the Chamber of Commerce, the Naples Daily News, and the News Press, just to name a few. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today and being a guest on the Key Ingredient Podcast. I'm really excited to have a discussion with you. I've had the pleasure of knowing you and your family for a number of years, and kind of from a distance, I've been able to watch your success as an entrepreneur as you've built a really tremendous business, not only here in Southwest Florida, but around the entire state. So I'm so excited to kind of ask you certain questions and learn a little bit more about your journey. I think, you know, I've known your son, Keith, for quite a while. I think it goes back probably about eight years ago. If I remember correctly, I was attending a Chamber of Commerce event. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you won Small Business of the Year Award that year. And we were just so excited for you. And a lot of great things have happened. So let's kind of begin at the beginning, if you don't mind. Tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, your journey, and really, what did you even do before starting My Shower Door? Thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure uh, to get to know you better and also uh, be able to share our story. A lot of people don't know about the name. They'll drive down the street, maybe see one of our signs on the building and say, my shower door. I mean, how can a guy make a living selling shower doors? I'll tell you, if I had a nickel for every time I heard that, I'd be a wealthy man just for that. It's kind of a really interesting story. I'm from Springfield, Massachusetts. And for the longest time, I worked for a security alarm company. I went to school for electrical technology. I got out of school. I started doing burglar alarm systems for a big national company called Sonitrol Security Systems. Then I was also very much a sports addict. I mean, I was playing baseball, soccer, basketball, ice hockey. And up in New England, ice hockey is a big sport. I got very good at it. I played junior hockey and then went on to professional officiating. So I was a referee in the American Hockey League for 10 seasons. Somewhere around 1987, 88, our oldest son, Keith, was diagnosed with cancer and he had Hodgkin's disease. And we had another son, Doug, four years behind. And it was very difficult for Donna to be able to take care of Doug and Keith. And my travel all around the country was really making it difficult. So we had to uh, come up with an idea of how we could be entrepreneurs and work for ourselves and still be able to take care of Keith. So one day I was getting my taxes done at my attorney's office, and he does a lot of work for home builders. And he had a, uh, a builder magazine sitting in his waiting room. And I went through it and I saw this really interesting product and it was called Closet Made Shelving. And you may not be familiar with the name of it, maybe the brand, but it's that white ventilated shelving that people put in closets. And I brought it home and I showed my wife and I says, you know, I think I found a business that we could run for ourselves. Hmm. It's called Closet Made. And she looked at me like I had three holes in my head. Just who's going to put refrigerator racking in their closets? <laughs> I said, I don't know. I just think it's a neat idea. And I think we could sell it. And there's nobody around here. Now, keep in mind, back then, Home Depot wasn't even in existence yet. There was no such thing as Home Depot or Lowe's. We made some inquiries and we were able to get the dealership to sell closet made through Western Massachusetts and Northern Connecticut. So if you know that area of, of New England, we're way on the Western 
southwestern part of Massachusetts, right next to the Connecticut border, where Hartford, Connecticut is. So that was our area. We handled up into the Berkshires, which would mean Stockbridge, Pittsfield, that area. And I went about as far east as Worcester, which is half of the state. I like to say that we covered everything out of the accent zone, meaning we didn't have that Boston, New Hampshire accent. <laughs> we grew that to be the number one closet-made dealer in all of New England. We were doing closet-made for builders, homeowners, remodelers, decorators, designers, multifamily construction. And we worked it out of our house. And it was really interesting. We had a little storage rental place that we got our product and we would go get it and cut up all the shelving and I would hire installers to go install it for us. So let me ask you, how long did it take you to build up to being the, the number one in the state? I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, probably took about four years. It was a brand new product, so it wasn't hard to become number one. It was a new product, but I was dealing against Boston and some of the bigger cities. And yeah, we became the biggest one because a lot of the builders in Western Massachusetts had places in Florida and Closetmade was more well-known in Florida than any other part of the country. Then the economy turned pretty bad. I had to find other things to augment our sales. So instead of just closet shelving, we started doing toilet paper holders, towel bars, medicine cabinets, numbers on the house, things that builders didn't really want to do. And we continued to build that until one of the builders came to me and asked me to do shower doors. And we had never done it before, but he liked our work ethic, our process that we set up for the closet shelving. I didn't know the first thing about shower doors. I was quite honestly scared because now you're dealing with drilling into somebody's tub or shower and there's water involved. A lot of liability, sure. A ton of it without knowing the first thing about glass or leakage. But at the same time, a mutual friend of mine knew somebody based out of Connecticut that was trying to start up a shower door franchise. At that time, he was just into licensing. So we bought into the license agreement and a lot of people would know us as Mr. Shower Door, which is what his license name is. And to this day, he's still called Mr. Shower Door, based out of Norwalk, Connecticut. That founder, Tom Whitaker, became a very good friend of ours. And we stayed with Tom until he decided that he was no longer in the licensing business. And that happened somewhere around 2010. So by that time, we had already sold our businesses up north. We sold that at the end of 2002. We moved to Florida, found our first location. And when we came down to Florida, we decided we didn't want to do closet shelving anymore, only the shower door business. So what, what, made, you, what made you make that pivot? What made you say that what got you to a certain point you no longer wanted to be part of? Well, we knew that the margins were better than closet shelving. Uh, the closet shelving was very, very labor intensive. And I came down, I did market research down here. And what they were getting for closet shelving down here was a fraction of what I was able to get up north. So we knew that it didn't make sense to do the closet business down here. We focused all on shower doors and we really decided that that was the business that we wanted to be in. And we enjoyed it too. You didn't have to spend as much time with a customer as, as you would laying out and designing closets, organizing a place for shoes and sweaters and pullouts. A shower door, just what kind of glass do you want? What trim do you want? It was pretty easy. But then we really became making it a, a specialty of ours. And tell you, heads, 
heads opened when we opened in Naples. They're going, are you kidding? This guy's opening this business <laughs> and only selling shower doors. How many employees did you have at that time? Well, we started with just the three original family members, which was Doug, my wife, and myself. Keith stayed up north with the person that bought our business up north for a transition period. The original deal was for him to stay there six months. It ended up they only needed him for three months, and then he moved down here with us. So we started our North Naples store. A lot of people are familiar with it. It's at Wiggins Pass. We like yeah. to say that Jermaine Lexus is across the street from us. <laughs> you know right where it is. And one of the things that we found out in business that as you grow, and I didn't know it when I was up north, that the more money that you put into advertising and marketing, the quicker your business would grow. And we really, really, really focused on marketing and promoting family shower doors, where up until that point, there wasn't really anybody in Southwest Florida promoting it at all. Unbelievable. Okay, so so you start with that location and what happens next? Okay, so that was in 2003. We were still under the license agreement with Mr. Shower Door. We decided that we wanted to expand, so we checked the Fort Myers market. And they were just building the shopping center at Andrea Lane then in 2005. And we secured a lease there. We're right next door to that bonefish. And everyone knows that's right across from Scanlon Lexus. Yeah. So here, our first two showrooms are right next to our prime customers. Generally, people that buy Lexus and that type of material would buy the frameless shower doors. I was going to ask you if that was by design. So to some degree, there was a little bit of thought behind that. By luck. It was a great showroom. <laughs> Stefan, you would know how hard it was trying to sign leases with landlords because you always they always ask you, what are you going to be doing there? What are you selling? And we tell them shower doors. And, you know, I got about 15 no's before we finally got a yes in Naples. Wow. And up at the Fort Myers location, we were dealing with the builder there. They didn't want a lease to us. And I had to go through a third party to secure that location. And to this day, we were the one anchor in both showrooms that have been here since the place was built. Well, I take that back. The Naples showroom, that location was built before we've been there, but we're the longest tenant in that strip mall. Wow. So that happened in 2005, and things went pretty well. We were up to maybe eight employees then, and then we wanted to tackle Sarasota. So we went to Sarasota in 2007. We found a building that was under construction and we brought in people to manage it, but construction up there just dragged and dragged and dragged. And the people that we brought in to, to manage it couldn't wait anymore and they left. And it really hurt us badly. But we finally opened up Sarasota. We, we persevered, hired other people. And, and then we just, the time frame came where the licensor, which was Tom Whitaker, decided he didn't want to license the name anymore. And there were seven of us across the states, and we all had to change our name to something else. And that's where we changed from Mr. Showerdoor to My Showerdoor. Well, and, were, you, were you the only ones who made that change, or did others do that as well? Oh, we were all mandated to. Okay. Our old store up in Massachusetts had to change their name, and that the other ones that he had in Missouri and Ohio and other areas of the country all had to change our name. Okay. So each one had to. Now, the other interesting thing is back in the 80s, when we started this business, the internet wasn't even going yet. I remember just looking at our first website when we got computers and it was all on dial up. The screen just filled up slowly. <laughs> but as the internet got a little bit quicker and people were using it more, the license holder was seeing that 
people were confusing his company in Connecticut with the other seven ones with the same name. And I think that was one of his reasons why he decided not to renew licenses. That was only one. The second one is, you know, they say the government says if it looks and smells and feels like a franchise, no matter what you call it, they're going to call it a franchise because he was collecting royalties. We were using his name and likeness, but he wasn't doing the filings that a franchise would be required to do. So his lawyer and him talked it over and they decided the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. The other guys weren't paying royalties. He was chasing them to get paid. We were the only ones that did. He gave us a very long phase out period. He gave us a year and a half, which is almost unheard of. Sure. So he gave us 18 months to change our name and to promote the new name. And he also gave us a letter stating that we weren't doing it because we were under a lawsuit or any other reason other than he was not using the licensing model anymore. And that just opened up everything for us. From there, we decided to hit Tampa. So we went from, from Naples, Fort Myers, Sarasota, Tampa, followed that with St. Pete. Then we went across the state to Orlando. And just recently, we came back here, opened up Cape Coral, and opened Boca Raton on the east coast of Florida. Wow. So, okay. So what appeared to be an obstacle for you with the name change and all that ended up being a terrific opportunity for you. Yes. But let me tell you, we had many sleepless nights during that obstacle. We we didn't know if something nefarious was happening, if he was selling the name to somebody else. I mean, we knew Tom pretty well. We didn't think that was the case, but you never know. And weird things happen in business, right? And then we had many company meetings. We had a website, a domain name, I should say. It was MSDoorFL, stood for Mr. Showerdoor FL. When we went to the name change, we figured, well, we better buy a domain name and let's find something. So first of all, we wanted to get a company name that had started with the letter M. We figured, well, we're in Florida. Do we do, well, we can't play on Disney, but we could be magical shower doors. Could be master shower door for a master bedroom. Keith ended up playing golf with a guy that was in marketing and he says, I got it. Just change the M from Mr. to a Y. Totally different feel different everything people feel good about my shower door and it was an absolute game changer for us unbelievable wow yeah so the opportunity turned into a, a great expansion everything about it was good it sounds like that so so the transition so keeping kind of the acronym the same to some degree did you have to change a lot in your marketing or did you find you were already kind of matured at that point that other than maybe telling people that there's a name change if you even did that other than that there wasn't a lot of a a change for you? Yeah, there really wasn't. The day that we changed the name on the sign on the front of the Naples showroom, nobody knew the difference. They never noticed the Y instead of the R. I could see that, sure. And we did the <laughs> same thing in Fort Myers and Sarasota. We just sent the sign company to change it. We changed our envelopes, had a new color. Nobody really cared. Everything stayed the same. The phone numbers, the email addresses all stayed the same. We made phone calls to every one of our builder accounts to tell them what was happening. So it was no surprise. The license holder allowed us to put on our website a letter from him stating that there was no legal action or anything. It was his choice. So it was all done really, really well. And I think that's one thing I learned in business. When you have a major obstacle like that, if you're honest with people and you tell them what's going on, there's a lot better acceptance than not saying something. I think that's a key point because I think as business owners in general, a lot of times we tend to dwell on certain things or we think our customers and clients are going to perceive something a certain way. But like you said, sometimes I think we, in our own head, make too much out of certain things. And like you said, just honesty and being upfront. 
I just envision that our competitors are going to say, well, why do you think they're changing their name? They must be under a lawsuit or they're skipping sure. their bills or something. So we had to get ahead of that. Yeah, so, and and we did. We, we did a lot of marketing of that ahead of the game so our competitors wouldn't be able to use that. as a- Yeah, very smart. So, okay, so so the Naples store, you started many years ago, three or four family members. Where are we, where are we today? As I get a report every Friday. As of last Friday, we're at 128. Wow. And we're still probably 10 short of where we need to be right now. And we're still avidly hiring. We brought in a recruiter, HR department. And as you grow and expand, you have to bring in management for different segments. So I'm not doing all the things that I did early on. I mean, Donna used to do payroll every week and pay the bills. And I would do a lot of compliance issues and quotations. I'm not doing any of that. Now it's more strategic planning, marketing, public relations, like I'm doing with you now. So it's more the fun stuff. I would think so. So just curious, though, with COVID over the last year and three months or so, how has that affected your business? I would assume it's probably been a pretty positive thing for you. Yeah, we found almost everybody in the home trades was positive. Now, we had a difficult time last March when Governor DeSantis asked for a shutdown. Even though we were considered an essential business and we had every right to work, I had an awful lot of employees that nobody really knew what COVID was all about at the time. They had young families, young babies. Some of them are staying with their parents who are elderly. We made a decision to shut down for the whole month, everything, our manufacturing arm, as well as our shower door company. And we paid everybody as if they were working full time, not knowing whether we were going to get PPP or not. Sure. Uh, It was a tough decision to make, but we made it. We felt that our biggest asset was our employees and we had to keep them. As it turned out, the PPP was perfect. Whoever designed that, I'm going to have to thank the president that was in office at the time that came up with that because we kept every single employee and we were avidly trying to actively trying to hire more. Now, as soon as we came back to work, let me see, we shut down for a month of April. So we opened in May. It seemed like May was twice as busy as it ever been because we picked up whatever was paused in April and picked it up in May. And from there on, I mean, we we haven't looked back. We've been busy every single day since then. Wow, it's amazing. And, you know, I mentioned that because so many of us are spending more time at home now and you want to enjoy your home more. And obviously, you know, your field, I mean, that that it, it just goes without saying that that's something a lot of us want to spend money on and, and enjoy being at home more. Obviously, an amazing story. The obvious question is, what's next for you? I mean, going regional, going national, I and mean, how big do you want this to get? Because as an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, the bigger it gets, sometimes the more headaches we end up getting as well. So what are the, what are the goals for the future? Okay, so as you get to the position that I'm in now, our goal is always to try and bring everybody in the company up. Everybody wants to be part of something bigger than them. And they want to be with a vibrant company that's always looking for growth. So we can't be stagnant. So we're looking at opportunities. We've got six affiliate stores now across the country. Affiliates are similar to a franchise or license, but they don't use the name My Shower Door, but they bought into our business model. We taught them how to do a frameless shower door business in their city under their name. And then we supply hardware to them and we help them with marketing. The reason we did that is we basically did it as a test site to see if the business model would work well in other parts of the country without the Dobmans being involved in it on a day-to-day basis. And the four that we sold 
are doing very well, where two of them have already opened second locations. Wow. So that's a positive sign. So now it's telling us that what we have, our processes, our product, and our people is what's required to make the business a success. We can brand this My Shower Door and turn it into, we think we're already regional, having nine stores in Florida. That's considered a regional company. But we could make it a national brand. There is nobody that does what we do on a national level. You've got some glass companies that do everything. They do mirrors and car windshields and shower doors. But to take a small niche like this and really specialize it, there is nobody else that does that. And the opportunity is there for us to do it. So do you think you see it more as an affiliate type of thing or more as a franchise? Well, we're investigating both options right now. Both options. I want to see what is involved in a franchise as far as compliance, government regulations. Do we have what's necessary? Are facilities big enough to be able to handle that? Can I bring in enough inventory to fill that supply chain from everybody? How big can you get? I don't want to implode. We've built our business on quality product and good service. And you know, when you if you grow too quick, you start losing that service. The, the product sure. should be the same, but you start losing that service. And, and I don't want to do that. We have a very good reputation for customer service, and we need to keep that. So Absolutely. we're investigating what's the best option for the company and for the family and for other employees here to grow. Now, on that end, the one part that we haven't talked about is how we grew vertically back in 2012. Doug did some investigation. We were buying a lot of glass. And he said, how much would it cost us to buy the machinery and start making the glass for ourselves? Yeah. And we did that investigation. We bought a building and we started it. I think our first glass went through the shop at the end of 2012, and we really started selling it to the public in 2013. Now, the intent of this manufacturing was to feed our own stores, but to fill capacity when you bring in very expensive machinery, you're not going to pay for the machinery by only being at a 25 or 30% capacity. So we decided to sell glass to other glass shops in the area that were in the same boat we were. I had to buy from a manufacturer in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I was only getting a truck once a week. And there were quality issues, there were shortages, there was damage, there was freight issues, all of those things on a supply chain that we had to deal with. And if we could manufacture it ourselves, we could control how fast we could make a piece of glass, we could control the quality of that glass, and we had a better control of pricing because we are now the manufacturer. And uh, many times they say, look at the business triangle. It says price, quality, and time. Pick two because you can't have three. (laughs) And And that's what you did. (laughs) And we figured, well, that's the one way to get the trifecta is to be able to to manufacture it yourself. That was smart. That was smart. Well, we grew vertically. Now, uh, two years ago on the 4th of July, we'll have been in this brand new facility that we built in Fort Myers for two years, and we're already looking at expansion again. We're bringing in other types of glass machinery where we can, well, over these last years, we've built our business on tempered safety glass, which is predominantly used inside of buildings. Now we're gonna be able to make laminated impact glass, which is used for exterior usage. We'll basically be able to double our business. We'll be able to do glass railings on the outside of these high rises all the way up and down Gulf Shore Boulevard where people are paying for that view on the Gulf. Why would they want aluminum banisters in their way? 
replace sure. it with good glass railings out there. Uh, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to make that and install it. So wow. the opportunity is there. We'll also have a machine where we can make ballistic glass or otherwise known as bulletproof glass. And as you know, unfortunately, all your new schools and public buildings are requiring that. And there is no manufacturer in this part of Florida that does it. So we'll be on a very short list of being able to bid on all schools and public buildings. And the third thing that this machine will be able to do, we'll be able to make switchable glass. And that's the glass where you put an electric film in between two layers. And at a flip of a switch, you can make it a private glass. It'll frost it. Or you can put a computer screen in there and you could read the internet or have soft controls like air conditioning in your house, television, radio, any type of internet as a touchscreen. We could either do that in a shower or in office environments. So it's going to wow. open up a whole range of things for us to be able to do. That is pretty amazing. I mean, that's pretty futuristic as well. Wow. I yeah, like that. It's a great opportunity, but the best part that it's made in the United States, the glass yeah. that we get is made right here in the United States. About, oh, about seven years ago, we made a decision not to bring in from out of the country wherever possible. There are certain things you just have to because you can't get in the States, but Wherever possible, we're buying domestically. So all of our glass is made in the United States that we're manufacturing here at D3. Our aluminum extrusions are made here in the States. So I, I really like that. We made a decision also that all of our vehicles are, are United States-made vehicles. So I'm running Ford Transits for trucks, Chevy either Malibus or Cruise for our sales cars. I believe in Made in America. I'm competing against the big box stores who are bringing in imported doors because of price. Sure. And we're competing it on quality. And and quality, as you know, when times go bad, quality always, always, always wins. Always. Absolutely. No, well said. I think that makes a lot of sense. Let me ask you, so, so through this journey, what would you say was probably the biggest obstacle when you look back at, at what you've gone through, the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome and what was, I guess, the thinking involved and how did you make decision overcome that? Well, we've had a, a few obstacles. The biggest, I think, was probably that name change was the first one. We were forced into it, not knowing what was going to happen and the thousands of dollars that we had put into promoting the other name and we had to rebrand. That was very frustrating and a very, very big obstacle. The next obstacle after that was personnel and, you know, the stepping stones in business. As you grow, when do you hire that controller? When do you hire a general manager? When do you hire HR department? When do you turn that over and loosen up the reins to some of these people so that you can grow? That's a, an obstacle. And the other obstacle is putting all this in writing so that it's scalable and repeatable and you have a written process that everybody knows what to follow. Yeah, that's not easy to do. We do that with our practice and it's, it's not easy. No, and it has to be adjusted constantly. I mean, I just went through it again and we're doing another revamping of it. Things change. Your software changes, just those processes alone, the accounting system changes. So those were other things, you know, getting the right people and the right thing. You know, you, you learn over time that some of the best people that you hire and the best interviews you have turn out being the worst employees. And some of the worst interviews, and you say, this guy will never make it, ends up being a star. <laughs> you don't you know. No, it's a 50-50 thing, crapshoot in an interview. But you just have to go with a gut feeling and then monitor it and make sure you make the right decision. 
Absolutely. How do you define success? Because it means different things to different people. How do you define it? Boy, well, first of all, if you're in business, success is making a profit, I would hope. I mean, otherwise, why are you not in business? That's right. one thing. But having our health and being able to get up every morning and, and go into business and have a fun place to work and and people that actually like you as a, as a business owner, not just like, but want to work through you. They'll run through walls for you. It's telling me that we're treating them right. They're getting paid a wage and they believe in the company. And to me, that's a success. That's a, that's a culture building thing that's not easy to do. And that was a struggle as we built our business to make sure that the culture that we wanted to build was brought and carried throughout the company. So we had to make sure that the managers in place carried the same vision that we have. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. What would you say? I mean, everybody views money differently. I'm in a wealth management business, right? I mean, everybody has different views of what money is and what money can do for them. Being an entrepreneur, what have you learned about money? Because you made you made a serious shift from working for someone to being an entrepreneur and a president and a founder of a company. What have you learned, I guess, about money through this process? Well, I've learned a lot about ourselves and our family. Our back was up against it. I mean, when Keith got sick, we didn't have insurance for that. We made sure that every doctor and hospital bill got paid. Basically, Don and I, we reset our bank account to zero. Now, we were lucky. We had our cars paid for. And we were making enough money so we could eat. So it wasn't like I was ready to lose my home, but there was zero dollars in savings. The very first investment we made in closet-made shelving was $2,000. And we had to scrape to get $2,000 to get our initial investment for our first batch of material. So what I've learned is if you put your mind to something, you can do it. It may not be the first way you think about doing it. You may have to adjust how you're going to do it but you can do it if you're really focused on it. We didn't know the first thing about manufacturing and boy, we had it handed to us. Anything that could have gone wrong did go wrong, but you have to have perseverance also. You have to truly believe in what you're doing. Money was was scary. It was the threat over our head. It was the fear that you had, but it was that fear that made you work harder. So I'd say the money part of it isn't so much where I said, I'm a success if I get a million dollar sales or if I get you know, we hit this platform because as soon as you're an entrepreneur and you hit this, you're already saying, what's the next one? What's our next goal? If you're not saying that, then you're not really an entrepreneur. You're, you're in it as a wannabe or, you know, just enough to get by. But if you truly are an entrepreneur, you're willing to put your house on the, on the line. And I got to tell you, Keith, Doug and I and my wife, you should have seen our jaws drop. That very first big loan we had with the bank and all of us put our house on the line, said, if this sure. thing doesn't work, you know, the bank's taking it all. But we well, did there, it. There, there's risk involved. You know, people look at entrepreneurs, they see success, but they don't realize sometimes how much risk, how much dedication and how much stress there is behind that. Yeah. You almost have to put it behind you and say, all right, we know it's there, but we need to go make these sales. And how are we yeah. going to do it? And how are we going to relate to people and get our message out there and, and be creative? And I think, You've known Keith for a while and you know he's very creative. I've done the same thing. And yet you have to have everything in a, in a company. You have to have those creative marketing people, but you also have to have operations to make sure that the product gets delivered on time in a professional manner. You have to have the in-house, you have to have your in-house in order, your accounting, your bookkeeping, your payroll. So it's a whole team. It's not just marketing. And we have a really good mix within our family. And then we just spread out from there. 
Well, you're a very close family. How long have you been married to Donna now? Is it 47 years? 40. No, we haven't had 45 yet. I'll uh, put right. you on the spot here. We might get 43 you this year. <laughs> 43 years. <laughs> Bill, so there's obviously a very, a very prestigious list out there called the Inc. 5000. And if I'm not mistaken, you've made that list five times, I believe, now. We did. Uh, tell me a little bit about, I mean, how do you even make that list? How does that work? You have to apply. First of all, let, let's uh, define it. It's the Inc. 5000 fastest growing businesses in the United States. So therefore, there's a metric of growth over a three-year period. You have to apply for it. You have to be a privately held business. So if you're a publicly held business, you're out of your govern, government entity. So that takes those out of the mix. Now, they still say there's over 4.2 million privately held businesses in the United States. So if you're in a top 5,000 of 4.2, you're the mathematician, run those yeah. numbers. <laughs> you're going to put me on the spot. <laughs> half of 1%. Yeah, sure. That? Now, I think we happen to hit it at a sweet spot. Now, they do have minimums and maximums. Obviously, you don't want to be a $10 business, be a $30 business next year, and you've grown three times, right? <laughs> so they have minimums that you have to hit and then a maximum to be able to get there. And they're, they're looking at the growth in that period. So let's just take an example. In 2015, we applied. So they went back to our 2012 revenue sales and compared it to the revenue sales in 2015. And at that point, our first time making a list, we were number 2,400 on a list of 5,000. So we were in the, the higher half of that. Now, the next year, we're... Our revenues have to increase, but you, you move it up to the next three years. So now they went from 2012 to 13 to 16, and then from 14 to 17. And so they're giving you a three-year span of growth. Sure. And we just happen to hit it in the sweet spots that our growth is there. And I've got a really good feeling we're going to hit it again this year sure. for the sixth time. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. Let's kind of conclude with this, Bill. I know you're, you and your family and your business are just very active within the community. I guess share a little bit about what you're doing, your involvement, and how you give back. Oh, thanks for asking that because, you know, we do it out of the heart. You know, when, when Keith got sick, he had an opportunity to get a wish from Make-A-Wish. And he turned it down because a friend of his was more sick than he was. And back wow. at the time when he was a kid, Michael Jordan was the athlete of the century, right? Everybody wanted to see Michael Jordan. So Keith gave up his wish to his best friend, and his friend got to meet Michael Jordan. So when we came down to Florida, we said to ourselves, when we're ready to start giving back, Make-A-Wish is going to be number one. And it was. We've given, I think, eight wishes away. And they're approximately $5,000 a wish. Yeah, yeah, they give are. Or, sure. Give or take. So we've given eight of those away since we've been in Florida. Then what a great feeling that is. You know, you don't do it to make money. You do it to give back to the community and feel good about yourself doing it. Then we started getting very involved with the school departments, giving students opportunities. So recently, I'm on the Economic Development Council locally, and we wanted to be able to help local businesses retain and expand their employee base. And one of the best ways of doing it is getting involved with the school systems and showing them that. There's other career paths than just going to college. Many kids aren't ready, maturity-wise, educational-wise, family-wise, medical-wise. There's a whole slew of reasons why they may not be ready for college. Yet the school system was always getting, I think they get credits to push kids to college. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Lee County has been very progressive in saying, you know what, there's other paths there. 
So we took an active role and we wanted to highlight the students that were going directly into the workforce as opposed to going into college. So just like the students that are student athletes that get a scholarship to go play football at Alabama or Florida or whatever, they have a signing day in their gymnasium. We created a, a workforce signing day for students going directly into the workforce, and we mated them up with their future employers, and we had a signing day here, and it was phenomenal. I watched the video, by the way. I absolutely love it. I Isn't that great? That yeah, it really is. Yeah. And it's growing because Collier County is going to want to do it next year. I've already been uh, speaking with them. It's going to continue to grow throughout the state. We've sent it on to Governor DeSantis's office because that's a big deal. That's what he wants is growth, job growth in Florida. Yep. And we got to get the kids involved in the trades, hospitality, there's the golf industry. You don't have to go to college for any of these industries. You just have to have the right attitude and want to work. That's what it's about. So we are involved in all sorts of things with schools and other, boy, probably 15 or 20 or so many of them. I have a hard time <laughs> at the top of my head. But No, I know you're very, very involved. I see that often. So I think it's great. You're giving back and it's the community definitely appreciates it. Yeah. And it's rewarding. It really is. Bill, how can I, I know you you and your family are very active on social media, not only your website, but just various outlets. Where can our viewers and how can they get in touch with you? Okay. So if I didn't tell you this, you probably would have guessed it. If somebody wants to contact me, it's bill at myshowerdoor.com. Doesn't get any <laughs> to remember. That, right? But you can find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. It's worth it to go to YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. You'll see a lot of Keats videos, and I'll tell you, he's really good. He puts he, out a lot he, of content. Yeah, I will tell you, by the way, because I'm on LinkedIn with Keith, and he not only does he uh, does he post often, but it's great content, great videos, all visual. I mean, just extremely well done. Yeah, and, and they're funny. They're entertaining. He got asked by the National Glass Association to be their spokesperson, their champion for <laughs> the glass show that's coming up in September. Because of his following, I think he's got 25, 24,000 followers on LinkedIn, a lot of them in the glass industry throughout the world. So yeah. his voice carries a lot of power for the glass industry. And I try and piggyback on that. He got onto LinkedIn because Donna told him, I said, that's the platform that serves you best. You're going right to these business owners and people that are decision makers. Sure. And he's taken it to heart and boy, he's doing a great job with it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Bill, listen, I enjoyed this so much. I want to, first of all, thank you for having this discussion with me. Again, we've known each other a while. So to be able to do this is really, really great. So proud and, and honored to have you as a guest, but also to see the success that you and your family are having. And I know this is really just the beginning. I mean, you have so, so much further to go. So thanks for joining us. Really do appreciate your time and uh, look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. It was all my pleasure, Stefan. Thank you so much and continue good luck in your business as well. Thank you, Bill. All right.